You're listening to the very first season ever of the Lifestyle Company Podcast, hosted by Kristen Forgion, designer, public speaker, and creator of Organic Desert Living. If you like talking design, business, and life without the filter, you came to the right place. In just six years, Kristen grew a one-woman side hustle into a multi-million dollar creative business. And it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. Armed with grit and hard work, Kristen comes to you unapologetically with some tough love. They say wine is cheaper than therapy, and lucky for you, we've got that last part covered. So pour up, and let's get to it. You guys, if you're listening to this, the podcast is live and official. Episode one is up and running, and it is coming through your speakers as we speak. I cannot believe it. It has been such a journey in getting this done. So um, I am Kristen Forgione. I am the owner, founder, and creator of The Lifestyled Company and Organic Desert Living. And I have no idea what I'm doing. So I figured I would just start this off, this big first inaugural monumental episode off by saying that so that you fully know what to expect from here on out. Um, I am a seasoned interior designer, but a total podcast novice. So this journey has already in, I mean, this is what we're 56 seconds into the first episode. This journey has already been such a learning experience and I am so thankful and happy that we decided to do this and that you guys have all been already along for the ride in some way. And I think it's going to be such a really cool journey to get to see the progress and the growth and hear your feedback and all that jazz. So thank you so much for being here. If you found us on iTunes, iTunes, thank you for finally accepting the podcast. Um, I had no idea that that actually had a series of steps that needed to happen. And um, turns out podcasting is really hard. It's way harder than starting a design business, if I'm being totally honest. Um, so it's been fun, and I'm going to kind of go over a little bit of that as we as we kind of roll here. But we're here together, and I can't believe it, and I really hope that I can show you guys all of the things that I love about design and about business and, and all of that in this first, in or not in this first, in this podcast. Um, I just started podcasting, not only hosting, but actually listening to it. And I've I've figured out that it's quite this world of um, new media that I had had no idea about. And it's only getting more users and more listeners and more hosts. And it's it's really got legs. So it's really exciting. One of the things that I love the most about listening to a podcast is one, the topics are infinite. Um you can go into a podcast app, whichever one that you use, and type in pretty much whatever you're looking to learn and hear about and find something. And I have found business advice. I have found legal advice. I have found total trash TV talking about, um, you know, everything from TMZ to um, Tristan Thompson and everything in between. I have found travel advice. I have found health information that I'm really, really interested in connecting with other people on. Of course, design advice. Um, felt a little closer to some of the people who I idolize in my life and that I really look up to all through podcasting. So um, when we announced that we were doing a podcast specifically for our podcast launch party, one of my really close friends was like, hey, I don't know what a podcast is, but I'll be there. 
And I loved that. I thought that was awesome. So if you are new to podcasting, if this is the first podcast you're listening to, that's probably good for me because your standards are really low. If you are a podcast host out there, um, I hope you're not cringing yet, but I hope that there's a place for everyone because I have had some really cool experiences as a business person and an entrepreneur and a wife and a mother and a friend and all that stuff that all of us are over the last six years. And I think that this podcast is going to give me a really cool opportunity to get to talk about all of that. So um, let's dive right into a few of the topics, if you will, that I kind of want to touch on in the beginning Um, every single thing that I read about, about starting and hosting and launching a podcast said, do not take the first 15 minutes of your podcast to talk about your podcast. Um, give the people something that they can write down, give them something to come back for. And it just feels so weird to not talk about how we got here and why. And our following has grown a lot, almost double. Actually, it has doubled. It's more than doubled in the last year. And so I know that there are a ton of you out there from a social media standpoint that haven't gotten to ever hear the full story of how the lifestyle company started and how I started and how the heck we got here um, and all of that. So I do think it's really important to take time to be able to tell you guys that and, and go on a momentary journey in terms of how this happened because there are so many of you out there who are also thinking about taking their creative business and or their creative hobby and turning it into a business. And and I think those beginning steps, based on all of the conversations that I have with you guys out there, are some of the most challenging. Taking that jump is definitely one of the hardest things to do. And I think that most people are kind of looking for some advice as to how that happens. So I want to make sure that I can talk to you about that. And so I'll, we're going to talk about that in this, pod, in this first episode. Um, Every single show, I want to make sure that you guys have something to kind of look forward to, if you will. And so we created some of these really fun questions that we're going to address every single episode. So they are, where am I? What am I wearing? What am I eating? What am I reading? Recent face palm, on the radar, and absolute death of the moment. So we're going to go over all of those so that you know where I stand with those. And in talking about absolute death of the moment, I also think it's important that we do a quick vocabulary lesson because here at the Lifestyle Company, we tend to do things a little bit differently. And if you follow us closely on social, you have probably picked up on some of this stuff. But if not, I don't want you to be confused here when you hear it. So Elko, it is short for the Lifestyle Company, obviously. Um, when I created this company, I really should have thought harder about how many characters the Lifestyle Company with specific capitalization would um, go and how long it would be. And I didn't. And that's OK. Um, that's one of those live and learn moments. So we shorten it a lot to Elko because it's just way easier than saying the Lifestyle Company every single time you want to refer to the business. So we call it Elko, Elko Design, Lifestyle Co, um, any combination of. ODL, that's short for Organic Desert Living. So that is the style that we have curated and created over the last you know, series of years that really represents our aesthetic. So for the longest time, we I just had like an elevator spiel, I felt like, for when someone was asking me what my aesthetic was and I couldn't really call it something. And so it all of a sudden it really just came to me and I said, I just feel like we need to start calling our look something. Um, I think at some point someone had said, you know, your look is really curated and it all looks really the same. And I remember feeling 
kind of yucky about that and being like, oh my God, I look, everything looks the same. Like, I don't want everything to look the same. And then as I really started thinking about it, I was like, no, actually I do. I do want everything to look the same. I want you to know that when you look at one of our projects, you know that it's from the lifestyle company and it is organic desert living. And it really stuck. And so since then, we have really tried to pioneer the style as a style. And I think it really started feeling real when people on Instagram and our clients started saying it back to us. And they'll usually use some iteration of the three words, desert, living, organic, living, desert, organic, organic, living, desert, something like that. But it doesn't matter. It all means the same thing. It's organic desert living. So we shorten that and call that ODL a lot. And then... The other one you might hear a lot that I haven't really touched on in a while are our nicknames. So my nickname is Barb, short for Barbara. And it is such a long, weird story as to how we got nicknames. But the short version is when when there's a lot of females in a room and you work with a lot of personalities, especially females, there can be drama and there can be cattiness. And I frankly will not have that. I won't stand for that. It's not something that I ever want to be present in my company. And so when people would mess up, we would start kind of saying it was their alter ego. So when I would do something completely out of body and listen, everyone's human and I mess up all the time. And I just started saying like, oh yeah, that was Barb. And it again, really stuck. So Barb is my alter ego, usually in reference to when something is going super bad. If I happen to be like really bossing hard that day, like I'm, I'm, I'm on a rant, I'm cleaning and organizing our samples. We are in a high stress situation and shit's just falling apart at the seams. That is definitely Barb in charge, not Kristen. Um, and then it kind of rolled from there. So then Kylie got a nickname. Her nickname's Blanche. Um, and so far it's kind of just Barb and Blanche and Rachel, our theory is really that the people that really need to have their shit together as much as possible, like Rachel, she's our technical designer. So she's the one who actually does and understands CAD and SketchUp and all of the technical things behind our business. And then Amy, our director of ops, they, they can't have nicknames. Now Kelly, Kelly's our marketing manager, um, Vince. James at our warehouse, none of them can have nicknames because they really have to keep their shit together. And by default, Blanche and I just usually end up being the ones that are screwing around or having a little too much fun, definitely drinking too much rosé. So it really stuck with us. So Barb, you will hear a lot um, from our team calling me Barb. And now like when we go to Starbucks and we get coffee, we put it under Barb. So Barb is just my my alter ego who tends to show up when things get really crazy or when things get super messed up, like I order 72 jumpsuits in a small. Um, things like that, those are, those are all Barb things. So it's kind of a get out of jail free card that ended up working really well. So my nickname is Barb, it's on our business, it's on my business card. Um, and, and it really sucks. So that's, that has just been stupid and fun and and hilarious. And people ask me every day on social media, who is Barb? Um, and then the last one is death, death. You, if you follow us on social for more than five minutes, you will probably catch someone in our company squawking death. Death came to be as a total accident. And let me tell you, I have got so much unfavorable flack, slack, whatever the proper term is on social from people saying that I shouldn't use the word death and it's so morbid and how dare I and all this stuff. And here's the thing. I've tried to stop. Actually, I really haven't tried to stop that much because I kind of love it. It is in no way meant to be morbid. It is in no way meant to be offensive to anyone. 
there was a gal by the name of Rachel Zoe, I'm sure you know her, um, like 10 to 12 years ago who started saying, I die. When her, she's a stylist, when her when her looks would come together on the on the carpet she would just say like I, I die I die and it basically just means that it's so good that you can't think of anything else and you are ready to drop dead because it's that good so we kind of took that and just I don't know why I just started saying death like death oh my god death it's so good death 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 and of all the things that have stuck death has absolutely stuck and again when I started hearing people saying it back to me and describing our projects as death I actually came across it on Pinterest the other day on one of our projects so our project photography was out on Pinterest deep 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 and the person who repinned it just wrote death with the skull and crossbones emoji and it made me so happy I was so excited Um, so death is a really endearing term and it just means that it's so freaking good that you want to die that's it it has nothing to do with actually dying So I hope I was able to clear that up a little bit so that no one feels incredibly deceived by the fact that I or someone in my company could very well be squawking death at any given moment. The other thing I want to talk to you about is the format of the show. So we talked about those few little things that we'll talk about every episode, like where am I, what am I eating, what am I wearing, all that stuff. But we are also hoping that the show ends up to be about 45 minutes every episode, give or take. I don't know about you, but I have a really hard time dedicating any more time than that because that's probably about the time of an average commute, you know, these days. So um, you can also pop your earbuds in and listen when you're folding laundry or doing, you know, stuff around the house or or whatever. I listen to podcasts a lot in the bath when I'm just kind of trying to get my mind right. So it should be about 45 minutes start to finish. I also want to make sure you guys understand why... We started this and what our end goal is. Um, For a long time, I have been searching and trying to find how I can give more, how I can give you guys more. Um, There was a real pivot point for me in my business that we'll get into later when I really stopped thinking about and and it's not conscious but stop thinking about myself and really started serving others I think it changed things for my client for my clients for my client kind of base it changed things certainly for my employees and and changed everything for me as a boss and as a business owner as an entrepreneur as a member of my community all of those things so um, I have been searching to try to find another way that I can connect with you guys that I can give you more feedback outside of what's on Instagram Instagram happens to be my vehicle of choice for social media it's what I love I, I I'm good at it um, it's come really natural to me I think just based on on how old I am and and my college years and how how it all came up really timing luck whatever um so I have just been trying to find something else where I can give more. There was a heartbeat that I thought about blogging again, but truly I don't think I'm the best blogger. Um it it takes a lot to make a blog good and for those bloggers out there who really have dedicated their life and their craft to it, it is so much harder than it looks. It has so many moving parts, just like any business. And I think that um, blogging in a lot of ways doesn't get the the back end attention that it requires because it just looks so effortless and easy. And I think a lot of people have some you know negative things to say about how, oh, it's it, she's just a blogger or she just has a blog or something like that. And I hate that. Um, so because I don't have that kind of time to dedicate specifically to a blog, I've been searching. 
I put an open call, if you will, um, on Instagram around the new year asking what people wanted. How can I connect with you guys? How can I get you more information? How can I help you with your businesses? How can I help give you confidence that um, that I have that has worked for me and my team and, and, and how can I help? And the podcast in starting a podcast was overwhelmingly the response. And I had been thinking about it before. Um, a few years ago, my mom brought up the fact that video and podcasting is is kind of going to be coming the new medium and the thing that's that the it thing. And I'm sorry, mom, I totally did not put any weight into it. And I basically wrote it off and said, I definitely don't have time to learn how to be a YouTuber. I don't want to edit video. I don't want, like, I don't have time for hair and makeup. I'm certainly not going on without hair and makeup. Um, you know, I, I don't know anything about podcasting. I ha- I wasn't even listening to podcasts at the time. So I think that was part of my quick reason in saying no. Um, so it was just really, that was definitely a funny conversation with my mom when I was like, Hey mom, I'm starting a podcast. Ever heard of it? And she was like, yeah, I suggested that two years ago. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, you did. That's right. I completely forgot about that. So, um, the podcast truly came to be because it allows me to do this with you guys. It allows me to talk to you in a, in a greater format, in a longer format, Instagram stories are great, but I pretty much get 15 seconds per thought to get out what I'm trying to say. And it can get kind of obnoxious sometimes when, um, you know, I I have 40,000 plus people out there and I'm talking specifically to one group that I've seen, like, let's say, interior designers who want information about X. Um, So this will give us an opportunity for you to kind of tune in when you want and not when you when you don't want. And um, hopefully we can make it designer enough for the interior designers mom enough for the moms out there. Um, I don't think I'm necessarily the authority in mom in, but I am a, a working person who has a beautiful family that, that are very, very important to me, my number one priority in life. And I feel happy and fulfilled in my life with them at home. So I, I would love to tell you more about that. Um, funny enough that I hope if we have a personal connection, you just like to hear what's going on in our life and, and kind of get deeper. Um, and business enough for people who are not designers, but who are running creative businesses and who want to hear part of our journey and how we were able to take it from truly a one woman show that I never had any, any thoughts that it would get this big to a multi-million dollar business with a lot of different vehicles and, and revenue streams. And we want to be able to share all of that. If you're an accountant, I'm not sure that I'm going to be the best person for you because I do not know shit about that, but maybe we can laugh together. I don't know. So my goal here is to help at least one person. We agreed, and by we, I mean myself and our team, we said we're going to do one season. So right now that's 12 episodes. It might push to 15 based on the feedback. So if you like it and love it and want to hear more, please be vocal about it for us. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, post on social, all that stuff so we know you're liking what we're putting out. Um, So anywhere between 12 and 15 episodes will be the first season. And then we're going to see what happens. So I feel good about if we can get through 12 or 15 episodes, the first season, if it works and you guys want more and we can fit it into our design life, we'll keep going. And if we don't, it will have been a great opportunity. My God, we have already learned so much about podcasting and how hard it is. Um, I would imagine it's not that hard in the scheme of like, you know, hard versus not like it's not an LSAT or being a doctor, but, um, 
it's it's been challenging, way more challenging than I thought it would be. So um, with that, let's actually dive into the nuts and bolts. So where am I? I am right now in a recording studio, and I will tell you that I have recorded that sentence three different times in three different locations, thinking that all three of those times and locations would actually be the final edit of this first episode. Um, and I'm going to be totally honest with you. The sound, it sounded like shit. Um, absolutely horrific. It was horrible. I really thought about putting that content out there. And then we had our podcast launch party and the podcast launch party was a magical success. We all had so much fun. There was like a hundred people there. We just ate and drank and enjoyed this absolutely beautiful scene at the Brexley. Um, if you don't know what the Brexley is, we will make sure that we um, identify it in the show notes so that you can Google them or Instagram stalk them. It is just the most beautiful place. So we had this podcast launch party, thought the podcast would be launched by the party. Turns out it didn't and it wasn't and it's still not. And that's why I'm re-recording. So right now I am actually in a recording studio and I have listened to some of this first 20 minutes on the track and it just sounds so much better. So I hope you guys are, I know you will be. I know you'll be, if you heard, if you were one of the five people that heard the original cut of the first episode, it was just so bad. So just be thankful that it sounds like this now because this is this is where I'm at. So again, for all those podcast hosts out there, if you're cringing, I can only go up from here. So um, what am I wearing? I am wearing some of our wide leg crop pants from the shop and a cute little blouse, something or another, and black vans because that's pretty much what I wear every single day. Um, and what am I eating? I have been living on birthday cake. Um, my birthday was earlier in the month and between birthday cake, cupcakes at the shop, one of our clients sent us these birthday truffles from the milk bar. Oh my God. They're amazing. You know who you are. Quit sending me sweets. Um, but they're fantastic. What I'm reading, I am reading Business for Bohemians and Business for Bohemians is this absolutely fantastic book. Um, that has changed really my thinking on, or I shouldn't say changed. I should, I should say it has further reinforced why I kind of love doing things rogue. It's by Tom, um, Hodgkinson and it's the full title is business for Bohemians live well, make money. And it just talks about running a business ethically and using the highest moral standard and doing what's right, even when no one's looking and, um, being a good person and supporting people and, all of that. And it's just, it's just a great read. I'm three quarters of the way through. So I feel really confident in telling you, um, that I know how the book reads and it's, it's a really good read. So, um, I would give it like four out of five at the least. I think I could probably even go higher than that, but it is a great starting book. So if you are new to business and you really want to kind of get your feet wet in maybe this less cutthroat, more, um, love, feel authentic self-based vehicle of thinking, um, it's a really good book to go ahead and get you started. So that's what I'm reading. If you have any recommendations for my next book, I love business books. I love um, like celeb books. I like, I love Tori Spelling's book series. Oh my God, I know you guys are probably cringing. Um, I love Lauren Conrad's books. I love an autobiography. Um, I'm not into like romance or anything like that. Um, I never read Fifty Shades of Grey, haven't read Harry Potter any of that. So if you have any recommendations, let me know. I have heard Rachel Hollis's book, books, girl, wash your face and girl, stop apologizing are fantastic. So maybe I'll head into those later. If you have opinions, let me know on Instagram. Um, I do answer every single direct message that comes to me from Instagram. So 
if you have something to say, get me on Instagram. Um, we're working on, on a platform to where you guys can actually go in and ask questions so that I can answer them. And at the end of every show, we're going to close out the, sh- the episode with three questions that probably require a, a more in-depth answer than when we put the question and answer form on Instagram. So we'll be reading those too. So if you have an in-depth question that you know specifically you want answered, we will end up putting out a form probably about once a week so that we can answer those on the podcast. So the most recent face palm is me leaving my backpack at a restaurant for two days without realizing it. Yep. That was me. I did that. (sighs) I can only like close my eyes and shake my head because, and I know the whole team is closing their eyes and shaking their head at me because I do shit like this all the time. I leave stuff places. I've left my laptop everywhere you can possibly imagine. I almost left my purse at a park, like at a bench behind a casino in Vegas when we were there for market last. Thank God Rachel was like, Barb, where's your purse? Um, I do stuff like this all the time. So that was just embarrassing and stupid and um, finally realized two days later that I didn't have my purse with me. So very normal behavior for me, but needs to stop. On the radar right now is how freaking happy I am that Share for Share Sunday is a thing. Again, if you're avid, an avid follower or um, engager with us on Instagram, I accidentally started this thing called Share for Share Sunday because I felt like I hadn't been using my account to share other accounts. I am reaping the benefits of all this amazing content and, and saving, 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 saving all the beauty that's on Instagram all the time. And I wasn't ever regurgitating those saves and showing other people what I what had caught my eye and what I really liked. And I love when other people do it. So I started Share for Share Sunday, which I basically just get on my stories and I randomly pick five plus accounts that I'm loving that have caught my eye lately. And then people started joining in and they started tagging our stuff. And I got a whole bunch of new followers. I got a whole bunch of new exposure to new accounts that I had never seen before. So now it's a thing. So now we're doing it every Sunday. So Share for Share Sunday, I have already gotten messages from people saying that throughout the week, they're thinking about Share for Share Sunday and who they're going to share and they're saving it. You can also start a collection in your saved on Instagram. You can title it Share for Share Sunday so that you can put all the people that you're really liking specifically that you want to share in that collection so it's nice and easy for you on Sunday. So last, the absolute death of the moment is our project in Montecito. You guys, we got the freaking job. We got the job. We got the house in Montecito. We are taking over the build. It is just dripping in amazingness. It has like a 120 degree view of the ocean. Um, It's almost five acres of rolling hills and this just fantastic house. And our client is amazing. And it's like, all things culmination of hopes and dreams and gifts and wishes of a designer um, to get a project like this with a client like this at this time right now in design. It's literally enough to like make me cry. I feel so incredibly blessed that she chose us, that her and her husband chose us because as you can imagine at that level, they can work with anyone and anyone would be amazing for them and they would get fantastic designs. So the fact that she wanted organic desert living in her Santa Barbara Montecito home just means so much to us. So if you are not up on what's happening with that project, we posted a couple things. I want to say I saved some stuff in highlights, um, but there's a lot more to come with that because that project is moving really, really quickly. So that's good. So um Into the nuts and bolts, if I haven't already said that, how this whole thing happened, I'm going to give you a condensed version just because I could probably talk for like 12 episodes straight through about so, so many of the little 
things that happened that caused me to pivot in my story and how the business really came to be. So I'm going to try to give you the fast track of kind of the first two years because that was a really long time ago. So the Lifestyle Company is six years old. We've had employees for about four and a half years. So I was a one woman show for the first year and a half almost two years because the the first couple hires are, are really hard and they totally didn't work out. And I was probably a horrible boss. I definitely was. Um, so it's just, there's just a lot of back and forth that happens in that first time, in that first, you know, chunk of time. So how did it all happen? Let's go way, way, way back. And throughout this look back on kind of our first two years in business and my story and how all that came to be, I want to make sure that you're leaving this episode with five pretty significant takeaways about starting a business. So the first one that I'm going to give you is identify your circle of influence early. And the reason why this is super important for me is because as I started on my journey of really trying to figure out if an entrepreneurial life was going to be for me, I think if I would have listened to everyone or even more than maybe two significant influencers in my life. And by influencers, I don't mean people who have a lot of Instagram followers. I mean, actual people in my life that matter to me. I don't know that I would be here. I think that um, everyone has an opinion. I think you know what phrase I was about to say there, but I didn't feel comfortable. Um, Everyone has an opinion and they're going to give it to you if you ask. And some of them are going to give it to you even if you don't ask. And so you really have to identify who in your world matters and who means enough to you to take their opinion into consideration when you're talking about the next phase or of your life. And for a lot of people, when they're starting out, it seems totally unattainable to be able to make this jump and this leap. And it takes a lot of balls and a lot of confidence and a lot of like come to Jesus conversations with yourself and your circle of influence. So you've just got to make sure that those people that you're choosing to listen to are the right people, because I'm telling you, it can be an absolute game changer for your business, for your happiness, for the people that are involved, whether that's your spouse, your children, your best friends, whoever. So identify your circle of influence early. That being said, everything changed for me when I met my husband, truly. Um, To go back from that, I was born in San Diego. My parents moved when I was really little. I had a beautiful childhood. I'm an only child. I have no siblings. I've always been super creative from the my earliest, earliest memories, I always remember, like, my mom would get me crayons for, like, Easter. Like, I'd always get a new pack of crayons, and I remember that. Like, I loved that, and that meant so much to me in fresh paper, and um, I always excelled in art and all things creative, and for as long as I can remember, I either wanted to be a teacher or a fashion designer, or better yet, teach fashion. And when it came time to kind of those college years, you know, halfway through high school, trying to figure out where I was going to go for school, in my home state of Arizona, There was no design program that offered a bachelor's degree. There was no interior design. There was no fashion design. There was architecture, but I knew architecture probably wasn't for me. I I really liked high school, but I probably liked it more for the social aspect than the academic aspect. So by no means did I get a scholarship of any kind. I definitely got some, I got B's, A's and B's and, you know, maybe a C here or there, but I was a good student and I had fun and I had great friends and I loved high school. I went to Corona del Sol in Arizona. If you are familiar, go Aztecs. Um, and, and so it was a great experience for me and a great time and I absolutely loved it. Um, don't need to go back, but I loved it. So when it came time to figuring out college, Like I said, there really weren't any design options. So I had a brief conversation with my parents who were generously paying for my college. 
And I really wanted to go to school for dance then. I danced throughout high school and I love dance and, and always have. And my dad was like, I'm not paying for a degree in dance. You already know how to dance. Let's go to school for business. So while I didn't at all understand that mentality then, I, I do now as a parent. I really do. And um, right or wrong, that's how it happened. And so I enrolled at Arizona State University for, for business. And um, shocker, I dropped out. Um, I made it like two years and I instead got my degree in boozing and bartending and partying and doing all of the stuff in college that most people do but also go to school. I totally didn't go to school. I just partied and and I wouldn't change a thing because that's why I'm here now. Um, and if I would have changed any of those things, everything would be different. You know how that whole rule, rule goes. But so I dropped out of ASU. I was getting my PhD in bartending and partying. And I had a boyfriend at the time who was from the Los Angeles area. So he decided he wanted to move back to LA. And boy, did I see an opportunity knocking. So I told my parents, I'm moving to California. I'm going to live out my dream. I'm going to fashion school with my super awesome boyfriend. I think we both knew, my boyfriend and I at the time, that we were not going to be together forever. It was, we were friends and we had a lot of fun together and it was, it was, it was great while it lasted, but um, I think we both kind of somewhere knew that, that maybe this would be a right season type of thing, but probably not forever. So um, we moved to Los Angeles. I enroll in SMC. I start fashion school and I absolutely fall in love. Like, I love it. Fashion school for me was everything that I wanted my college experience to be, but that I hadn't had. So I was just thoroughly entertained. I was sewing every day. I was spending countless hours at Mood Fabrics in Hollywood. I was living the LA life. I was putting thousands of dollars on credit cards um, a month. I was doing bottle service at a super swanky five-story club in Los Angeles in Hollywood called The Crest. I don't know if any of you guys remember it. Um, if you're around at that time, but, and I'm still friends with some of those girls. Like I am still friends with people that I did bottle service with 12 years ago, which is totally amazing. And again, one of the reasons why I love social media, because we probably would have lost touch if we didn't have that little ad friend capability. So, um, it was, it was a beautiful year of my life at 22 and fashion school truly just reignited my absolute passion and the confidence that I needed to know that doing something in a creative field was going to be my future. And at that time, I really thought that I would stay in LA and I would make this whole thing work. And the days were great. The months were long. I really missed my family. I started to see signs, although, like I said, subconsciously, I probably knew that I wasn't going to be with my boyfriend forever. And we broke up. And in that time that we broke up, for anyone who's ever broken up with a boyfriend when you moved away from home or a girlfriend or whatever, there was that like, you know, jolt of, oh, my God, what am I doing here? I can't afford to be here on my own. Uh, you know, where am I going to live? We lived together. So I had to move out. We had a dog together. Um, you know, it's just like all of these details that just sucked, frankly, at the time. And so it became glaringly obvious that I probably needed to move back to Arizona. So I called my mom, begged her to come to LA. She hopped on a plane literally that night. And um, we went from the airport to U-Haul, got the U-Haul, drove back to my apartment, put everything in my apartment, put everything that I owned from my apartment into the truck, left a check for my boyfriend on the um, counter and truly like came back home. So I had finished one semester of fashion school, 
here I am back in Arizona and like, what am I going to do? How am I going to make all of this creativity and these creative juices that I have inside of me into something? I, you know, I'm, I'm almost back. I'm pretty much back at square one and I'm 23 years old. I have no degree and I, I have maybe, maybe I had $2,000 to my name and my checking account and like 15 grand in credit card debt. Um, it was not good at any, by any means, but my parents were super supportive. My best friends were super supportive. Um, I was able to kind of jump back into where things left off here in Arizona. I got my old bartending job back in old town. Um, and at that same time, one of my girlfriends was working for a high-end resort in Arizona and she wanted to transfer with the sub company that she worked for uh, to Miami. And she pretty much needed to find someone to take her job. So I was the only person, I think, at the time that she really knew that had event experience and and bartending and bottle service and all of that. So I took her job as an event coordinator at this lobby bar, if you will, in this high-end resort. And lo and behold, I meet Vince, who's my husband. And... There's a story that goes along with that first meeting. It was on St. Patrick's Day. He was very drunk. Um, Let's just say it was not love at first sight. (laughs) It was not at all love at first sight. But so we start working together and we're friends. And um, truly, like, I, I didn't think he liked me. And at that time, things were a lot higher and tighter and everything was, things were good. And I was getting some attention and I was kind of confused. I remember thinking, like, why doesn't he like me? And I told my girlfriend and my roommate at the time, like, it's so weird. Like, he doesn't like me. It's just, you know, or does he like me? I don't know. So some things cleared in my life. And I had mentioned I had a dog with my ex-boyfriend at the time. And we were driving our our dog back and forth to, like, the Arizona-California border. Not kidding. It was highly toxic. I don't recommend it. Um, And so I was, by default, telling Vince about these nights where I would get off work and I would have to go drive to Blythe to pick up my dog to have for a couple weeks. Or my boyfriend, my ex-boyfriend, he was supposed to be my ex-boyfriend. My ex-boyfriend was driving the dog to Arizona so so that I could keep our dog for a little bit. And it was just not the way that a breakup should go and not the priority that you should put on trying to move forward from a relationship. So... By default, Vince was hearing all this stuff all the time. And so that's why he didn't want to touch me with a 10-foot pole because he didn't want anything to do with any of that. But so when that finally came out, um, we went on kind of a pseudo date and ended up having sake bombs together and going to a neighborhood dive bar with no windows and that we still love and try to frequent whenever we can, you know, like once every five years. And truly from that moment on, we sat and talked until two o'clock in the morning And there was just something different about him. And I'm telling you, I knew. I knew then that he was the one. And it went really quick, really quick. Like he moved in with my girlfriend and I, who was my roommate, um, within two weeks. We got engaged within three months. Then we moved back to California because he got a promotion with our company. So seriously, I had been home for like not even 10 months, not even nine months, I don't think. And then back to California, I go. So this time we live in Orange County, um, which was another amazing experience. Like I've had a couple really beautiful like opportunities of luck or timing or whatever where I've gotten to to live there. And I I absolutely love it. Um, But so we moved back to California and really started our life together. Like I said, got engaged, got married within a year and then got pregnant accidentally with Harper six months after we, we got married. So in all that time, my husband got laid off and we moved back to Arizona. So I went back to my corporate job where we had met doing weddings and events. 
And I am still so thankful for that opportunity that I got to create. That, that again, was my first kind of dipping my toe back into, okay, I have to use this creativity that I have inside of me somehow. How can I do it? I, I have to make a living. I'm a young professional. I'm 25 at the time. Um, you know, how am I going to do this? How is this going to work? And so that opportunity that I had in my company was really unique because I was in a sales position, but I also had a ton of flexibility in being able to help brides and grooms and event planners and corporations plan these really memorable events. And I loved my job and I loved my company. So that ended up, um, that was about two years of being back until the lifestyle company was really born. So I started an Etsy shop and I started an Etsy shop doing printables, doing kind of very loose graphic design that I had figured out on my own because my sister-in-law got pregnant and she wanted to announce her pregnancy. And so I whipped up this this little pregnancy announcement and I think Etsy was a really different, really different experience then. There were probably a third as many shops as there are now and probably a quarter of the number of listings that there are now. So things in that world have just changed a lot. So at that time, so this would have been 2000, um, geez, 10. We got married in 2010, 2011. So about 2010, 2011, sometime around there, I started the Etsy shop. And so the Etsy shop, again, was just an opportunity for me to create and sell my designs for, you know, $5 and have interactions with other people and kind of get that confidence that I needed to hear so that I understood people liked what I was creating. And at that time, fashion was still really alive and well in my heart. And I wanted to try to figure out a way to make it work. While I was in in, um, Orange County, I loosely created this, this swimming line called Millie and Annie Swim after my two grandmas. And by loosely created, I mean, I made a prototype and I kind of had a manufacturer and then we moved back, so back to Arizona. So again, I was kind of being ripped out of all of the infrastructure that I was trying to create to be able to make something go. I still think a swimsuit line will live at some point, but I'm not sure when. Um, But so I was doing this Etsy shop. So then the Etsy shop just so happens, um, we bought our first house. And so our first house, we ended up, doing a lot of renovation and DIY and kind of bumping our way through decorating it and all of that. So at that time, I started a blog. The blog was called The Lifestyled Company. So I started this blog because I was doing these kind of DIY renovations and decorating and finding bargains all over the place and I really wanted to be able to share that with people. And I had always lived really authentically on social media. So at the time, Facebook was the thing. Pinterest was brand, 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 brand new. Like I had a Pinterest free wedding. Didn't exist when I got married. And Instagram wasn't a thing quite yet. So Facebook was the vehicle that you use to be social. And so I started the blog. And I remember having a very brief conversation with Vince about, I'm going to start this blog and I want the blog to be about weddings and events and you know mom in because I'm a new mom I was I had already had Harper at that point so I had one one baby um and all about renovation and and designing on a budget and I think I have some talent here people seem to be liking what I'm doing so I started writing and I started the blog and quickly the blog got traction and I would write my post and then I would go on Facebook and talk about and kind of tease the post that I wrote and and tried to get people back to read read the blog I'm, I have no idea what any of my monthly like readership was or anything like that. I still remember like the first 10 people to like my, the lifestyle company Facebook page. 
Um, it was, it was, but it was still overwhelming. The support felt so overwhelming and people were liking what we were doing. And I was blogging about not only the good stuff that was going well, but I was also blogging about the things that were going bad. And there were plenty of DIY renovation types of things that were going bad. I was making no sew pillows. I was staining wood. I was, you know, living at Home Depot and Lowe's, learning how to use power tools, all of those things. And at that time, 2012, um, 2013, that was kind of that time. You know, that was before Chip and Joanna, at least before their show. And HGTV was HGTV, but I, I personally don't think it was what it is now. So it a lot of it was just really good timing. So then as it started to gain traction, I started getting people asking me, hey, can you come help me style my bedroom? Can you help me pick out couches? I have no idea what to do with these panels. How can I, do I, do I hang them to the ceiling? Do I not? Should they touch the floor? What color? Blah, blah, blah. And so I started noticing that people were asking. So I decided, okay, here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give away three free styling sessions so that I can see if I can actually do this. And if people like, what's my design process? How logistically do I install something? Like, I don't even think I knew that an install was called an install at that point. I just, I had no idea. Um, And so I put out on Facebook a contest for three free styling sessions where I would come into people's homes and help them with their space. And it would be free design. And I remember I got like 20 entrance. And I remember thinking that that was absolutely insane. Like my mind was blown. How in the hell do 20 to 20 people, 20, 20, 20 people, that's all my fingers and all my toes, 20 people want me to come to their house and help them with their space. Like that's unbelievable. Maybe I've, maybe I've got something here. And so for the contest, I, a contest, I asked them to tell me what about their space needed to be changed and why, and was it okay if I photographed it and all kind of all that stuff. And that brings me to a really important point and another business tip for starting out that I think is is super important to know. Think about the future in two phases. So there's a now future, which is like from right now, the decisions you make right now for the next maybe two years, and then the future future, which is like two to five years, even, even beyond that. And the most important part of that, think about the future, which is so cliche, start with the future in mind, whatever, whatever your iteration of how that expression goes, is but be willing to pivot always. So for me, I truly feel like part of my success and how it's been, how I have been able to build these kind of arms of our, of our very profitable, successful business is because I was never so committed to what I want, to what I want personally, that I couldn't see what else was happening that was like happening right in front of me, knocking on my door or telling me to shut the door, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, I was never so committed to one of those paths that I couldn't see what was happening around me. And I will give you a statistic, 98% of business owners hold on for too long. Think about that. 98%. So that means, and that was according to, I don't know who, but it was someone reputable enough for me to be like, wow, I need to remember that. And I can reverse Google that and see if I can find it for you guys. Um, Maybe we'll do that on the show notes. But um, think about that. So 98% of business owners hold on too long. For me, that means that like 98%, 98 people out of 100 as a business owner are not seeing the signs of duress of failure, of absolute meltdown, of emotional breakdown, of 
horrible publicity or marketing. Like they're just not seeing what's happening. 98% of people hold on too long. And when you hold on too long, you lose the ability to make decisions and you lose options. So for me in design and, and my staff and our clients can attest to this, all I want is options. So we can work with, with a budget, but with whatever budget that is, something has to give. Either the scope has to change or we have to find more money somewhere or we have to um, reevaluate our needs so that we can have choices because ultimately we need choices. That's the best thing that you can give your designer or be given in a situation is enough of a budget for whatever that scope is. It doesn't mean the budget has to be huge. Huge. It just means that we have to have enough of a budget that we can have options. And the same is true in being a business owner. You have to make sure that you leave your peripherals open enough that, that you are committed enough to keep going and to jump in and to be wise, but not be so committed that you, you miss everything else that's happening so that you can't pivot. Not abandon ship, not jump off, not, you know, say never again, not close the door, but just be willing to slightly pivot even if it's just a tiny bit. And the reason why this is so crucial for me right here is because I gave away the, the three free styling sessions. I ended up doing selecting three winners. I did those projects. I professionally photographed them, um, which I think is is really huge. And I had an idea of what I wanted my future to be. So the reason why I did that was because I wanted to get into an opportunity where I could offer design services. And I needed to figure out if I could do that. Do I, do I even know how to do this? Remember, I didn't go to school for design. And I can be totally honest with you, I've spoken to a lot of design students as of late and they don't teach you that in design school either. So, um, you know, I want I wanted to be able to give design services. So the three free sessions go amazingly. I photograph them. The feedback is great. I continue to write. It was about six months from the, f- the very first blog post to the time I quit my corporate job. And... It sounds like really fast and wonderful and butterflies and rainbows, and part of it was, but I was working two full-time jobs pretty much, which most people have to do when they're starting a a business, a creative business, especially leaving that corporate umbrella or leaving where your professional experience lies. So I was also trying to figure out how I was going to take some of that professional experience in weddings and events and still, and, and actually be able to offer that in the lifestyle company. And that is one of the reasons why it's called the lifestyle company, because I wanted the blog and the future services to say styling all aspects of your life, whether that's wardrobe, parties, events, weddings, or interiors. So when we first started, I was offering services in all of those, all of those avenues. So I had a couple TV spots. I really started looking at our expenses. We started figuring out what we could cut out so that I could take this leap and we saved $20,000. So, and I remember at the time that that $20,000 seemed like so much money. Like I remember thinking like, holy shit, I cannot believe we saved that much money. I'm so glad, like we'll be able to live forever. Um, And Vince and my goal was really a year. So we said, okay, we're going to save this money so that we know we can pay our bills. We wouldn't be able to contribute to our 401k at that point. Um, We weren't obviously putting anything in savings. We weren't traveling that year. We weren't doing anything like that. We had a baby. We had a one-year-old. Oh my God. Or two-year-old. I guess she was two at that point. We had a two-year-old. 
now I look back and I think it's completely insane, but um, that's the way it went for me. And I gave my company a month's notice. And if I have any advice for those people out there right now who are working for a corporate job, who are trying to figure out how to turn their side biz or their nighttime hustle or whatever you want to call it into their full-time job, um, leave your company on the absolute best of terms. I am still so close with so many people at my old company. I have done design work for them. I designed their company cafeteria a few years later. Um, I've, I've done a ton of amazing work with them, and I truly believe that it is because of the way I left. Um, I also happen to work for a really great company who was super supportive. So I, I never hid anything. I was always super open about what I was doing, what my intentions were, what my goals were. Um, and because of that, I think it just set the tone for a really positive experience. So when Vince and I said, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to make this happen, it was pretty apparent that it was it was going to happen. And I just wanted to know that I had, if it didn't work in a year, I could go back. And that's how I left it with my boss and my company. And, and, and at the time, he said, yes, of course, you can come back. I'll find a job for you. And so having that in my back pocket as kind of a fallback plan was really important. So um, if that's you, leave on good terms. Life is, is hopefully very long, but it's a small world and you never want to burn any bridges or leave anything in a sour way. I can also tell you I have gotten a ton of clients from my contacts at my old, at my old company and at my old job. Um, so I decide I'm going to quit. I save the $20,000. I quit. And... I hit the ground running from truly that first day. I didn't take any time off. There was no balance. I'm sure every business coach out there is going to say you're doing it all wrong. That's not what you're supposed to do. There needs to be balance, no stress, the whole thing. Well, that's not freaking possible. It definitely wasn't possible for me. Um, but part of, I think, what I also did right is I didn't allow myself the flexibility that I think a lot of people think entrepreneurship is. Rolling into the office, a.k.a. your living room, that you have like a fold-up table set up, you know, at 10 a.m., cutting out at three, being really lackadaisical on your email correspondence and answering the phone when someone calls. Like I didn't do any of that. I continued to run my business just like I had when I when I had a corporate job. So I very quickly picked up like four weddings right out the gate. So I was doing wedding coordinating. I was doing interiors from those those first sessions. I got a whole bunch of other business and there were small, small jobs from a single room here or there working for friends, doing doing something, though, in design. Um, I was calling myself an interior stylist at the time. I wasn't calling myself a designer because I truly hadn't designed anything. I was taking what was already made and putting it together in a way that was visually appealing. That for me wasn't being a designer. And I was really specific about that title because I'm self-taught and a two-time college dropout. I didn't want to be offensive to those people that had letters after their, their name or people who were actually book trained designers. I felt like it was really important for me to kind of earn my stripes. So for the longest time, I was referring to myself as an interior stylist. I was still working from my house, doing weddings, doing events, doing birthday parties, um, throwing my daughter these crazy ass first, second, third, fourth birthday parties because it was great content, photographing it all, still blogging, um, doing a little bit of travel, trying to figure out where I go from here being insanely busy, not focusing on my books like I definitely should have, um, but ultimately ultimately loving life and really, really starting to figure out that like this is where I'm supposed to be and this is what's important to me. So fast forward about a year of kind of doing that hustle and, and things were going really well. 
I start to realize as I'm pregnant with Sutter, my girls are three and a half years apart. So I guess it would, no, it was probably about a year, year and a half because Harper was two when I left my corporate job. Um, that I can't, I can't keep changing, like I can't keep changing my, my hat that many times a day. I was going from one email that was like knee deep in wedding details and coordinating and styling into the next email, which was knee deep into someone's renovation or, and at that time I was still doing small projects. So I was doing like a single bathroom renovation or, um, a master bedroom design from an interior standpoint. So furniture and paint and all that stuff. And it just got to be really, really time consuming and it was really hard. And that was what was giving me the most amount of anxiety. Other than the fact that I didn't know what to charge. I didn't know if I was making money. I didn't know, um, you know, I didn't know any of that at that point. I, I just had no idea. So I did know that something had to change and I couldn't keep keep doing this. So I remember crying to my mom and to Vince and saying like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I, I think I have to let weddings go, but I love weddings. I love the creative part of creating someone's wedding, but I hate the logistical part of someone's wedding. I'm, I'm leaving my family on the weekend to go be in someone else's family, if you will. Um, for those of you that are out there in the wedding business, it is freaking brutal. So like more kudos to you because it is truly one of it's a very very challenging business very rewarding but very challenging um client satisfaction is really hard because you pretty much get one go round there is no do over so if something goes wrong it's just bad it always costs way more money than you think it's going to um than anyone wants to spend frankly so I decided I, I have to let weddings go. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, weddings make up like $30,000 of my revenue. And I was just doing that quick math by saying, okay, I'm doing four weddings and I'm charging them each $7,500. You know, that's whatever, $30,000 or, or pretty darn close. And whatever those numbers ended up ended up being. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to make that up in interior revenue. Like, I don't know. I don't. I don't know how I'm going to do this. And at this time, I was still working at my house. I did not have any, any employees. Um, I was... I had an intern, so she wasn't an employee. I had an intern, and I was hoping that that intern would would turn into something else. Um, it actually turned into a shit show because she tried to steal my website. My God, you guys, I have so much to tell you on the employee front. That's going to be a really, really fun episode coming up. Um, but yeah, she tried to steal my website, so that was that was interesting. That brings back that like PTSD rage just by saying that. Um, but uh, so that leads me to a couple other takeaways for starting your business. Number one, number, I guess this would be number three, put the tasks and actions that are revenue driving for your business at the top of your daily list. So when I realized that what I was doing, that a portion of what I was doing isn't what was actually making me money, like I said, although I didn't really have the numbers to back that up, I could just straight tell you how many hours I was spending coordinating these these clients' weddings versus how many hours I was spending coordinating interior details. It was just like exponential. Weddings were just taking so much more time and it was not what I loved compared to interiors. Like interiors are where my is where my heart was and is and it was what I knew my future would be. So remember back to that now future and future future, I knew that interiors was going to be where I wanted to grow my company. I didn't want to hire more wedding coordinators. I wanted to hire more designers and I wanted to design more and get bigger projects and learn more and, and do more and all of that. So... Um, Put those tasks at the top of your list. And I tried to create some sort of figure behind that. And I think what ended up working for me was a 70-30 rule. So 70% of the time I was doing my revenue driving most rewarding tasks. And because of that, that was allowing me to get more clients and do better projects and do cooler shit, if you will, 
and not spend so much time in the minutia of every day. And that that will really help you to separate and see what you should be doing and what you shouldn't. And that should also take you back to, to the second point in think about the now future and the future future. So those two things should work really synonymously. Um, and then keep your expenses low for as long as you can. And when I, by low, I mean as low as humanly possible for as long as you can. I think that also really helped me. So I design my own websites, the first three. I design my own business cards, all of those. I um, did enough research to know that I was getting wholesale printing. Like, I don't know if you even knew there was wholesale printing, but there's wholesale printing. Um, you know, I was trying to keep as many things in-house as I possibly could. I wasn't falling into traps with all of these business subscriptions. Um, I was kind of doing it the old-fashioned way, a lot of Excel spreadsheets, um, I wasn't, I wasn't using things that I didn't need yet. So instead of buying the 10 employee package, because someday I'll get there, I was still working on the one employee package because that was just me and whatever, you know, business type of service that that was. So keeping your expenses low for as long as possible. I truly stayed working in my house for those first two years until it got to the point where I knew I needed an office manager and I knew I needed someone administrative and I didn't want that person having to come to my house if I had a sick baby or, you know, now I had two kids. And so two changes everything. It's double everything. Bodily fluids, diapers, you know, crying, all of that. And so I didn't have like a casita or something that was detached from my house. I had to have that person actually in my house. And so as I decided I wanted to become more professional and be a better business owner and a better boss and have a better employee kind of environment and experience, even though it was just me and that person, I found it really important to get uh, an office offsite. So that was another huge pivot point was, was the office. Um, so I worked out of my house for the first two years, moved into a super small little office that was truly a closet that this um, realtor had bought a, a corporate building and done some executive office suites. And I had the smallest, teeniest, tiniest little office suite in there, but it totally worked. And it was $369 a month. And I remember thinking that was so much money and I don't know if I'm ready for this, but I had enough cash in the bank that if I had to pay the entire one year lease, like God forbid something happened and I had to shut this shit down. I could at least pay that and I knew that that would be taken care of. And so that meant a lot to me because I wanted to make sure that that I could handle that. So um, weddings go bye bye. We focus fully on interiors. Um, we move out of our home office and I hire my first real employee. And that was an office manager for me. Um, and so that was really kind of year one, year, year zero through two. And there was so much that happened in between there. But most of the main pivot points were um, were hiring an intern, finding out that that was not going to be the right situation for me. Um, that first moment of kind of theft and um, feeling like betrayed by someone and what that felt like in business. Um, moving out of our, our, our home and into an office and then hiring that first position as an office manager and really realizing that now it's really time to start identifying how to make money and how to provide a better service for our clients. And all of that kind of flowed pretty quickly after that. Um, and then the last thing that we haven't really gotten to talk a whole lot about in this, in this episode is... The power of being your authentic self. So the last takeaway in starting a business is bring your authentic self into your world in a professional way as early as humanly possible in your business as you can. And then talk about it on social media. 
So truly identify and figure out, go as deep as you can to figure out who your authentic self is and why you're different and why your business is different, why your service offering is different, why your experience for your clients is going to be different. Is your aesthetic different? Is your, you know, is your location different? Why are you different? And talk about it. For me, I think I started talking really early on about how this is what I love. This is my aesthetic. I'm self-taught. I'm not embarrassed by it. If you like it, great. If you don't, it's okay. Um, Like find your tribe. And I kind of feel like that's sort of the underlying social message of kind of our generation, of this generation. It's like find your tribe. Find the people that are speaking the same language as you. And we will talk a lot about this in a future episode where we talk about attracting and managing the, the right clients and how every client isn't for you and how you can find, get to, manifest, cultivate, encourage new clients, clients that are your target client. Um, and so by by putting it out there early and identifying it and adapting it into your business as early as possible, that's going to have that learning curve of one, adapt, adapting social media into your business in a way that is profitable and, and transparent. It's going to make that so much easier. And it's also going to, without even trying, show what your unique value proposition is. So that was a mouthful. And I went really quick on that. I hope you guys were able to retain and understand kind of how some of that works. And the reason I stopped at year two is because I think from that first actual employee, like payrolled employee that we had, which by the way, I didn't even know what payroll was. I didn't know how to pay anyone. We had to figure that out. Um... From that moment forward, it just really changed really fast. And then it gets like really gritty and designery. And there's a lot of really specific things that happen that I want to make sure I can dedicate enough time to in a future episode. So um, with that, I want to end this episode with three questions. Question number one is from Sarah C. Wick, I think it's pronounced. Where do you get your style inspiration from? I get my style inspiration from a variety of places. One, of course, being the gram. I'm on Instagram a whole lot for my business, and there is so much amazing inspiration on Instagram. Um, Pinterest, of course. I'm also a huge reader. As much as I love podcasting, um, it's not visual, obviously. It's auditory. And I love, I still love the feel of like a really fresh magazine, a really new book how all of that feels and, and smells and looks. So I'm I'm a huge reader. I actually read my coffee table books. I get excited about opening them. We had a client recently ask us about our spend on coffee table books and what she was supposed to do with them after we installed. And we were all kind of like, um, you're supposed to read them. What do you mean? And she was like, oh, I was like, oh, well, and they serve as great decor, but you're, you're supposed to actually read them. She's like, oh, oh, okay. I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know. I'm like, yeah, no, read them. So um, coffee table books are a huge one. Um, And then travel. Travel for me, my husband and I have both put a lot of emphasis on family travel and we feel it's really important that we travel together and experience all of the things that come along with travel together from the food to the sites to the travel and what a headache that can be. Um, And so travel I think is a huge one. Whenever I'm feeling like I need some inspiration, it's usually when I haven't traveled enough at, at that time. And over the last year, our travel schedule has gone insane because we're taking clients out of state. And I still like to travel casually um, on the side or personally as well. So I've been traveling a lot. So I haven't had any need to be like, oh my gosh, I haven't traveled in a long time. So travel is a big one. Um, of course, Instagram, Pinterest, 
and and books, good old-fashioned books. I love the inspiration that, that comes from all of that. So Sarah, thank you so much for that question. The next question comes from Shelly Minder. How do you pick the best paint color? This is a good one, and people are so crippled by paint. Paint and lighting. Those seem to be the two that a regular person, if you will, a regular consumer cannot figure out. And I, I get it. It's it's complicated. I don't think the paint companies are doing us any favors by showing us paint swatches on one-by-one little cards. It, it doesn't help at all. So if you're picking paint color on your own, the absolute best way to do it is to sample. You must sample the paint. You absolutely must. If you hire or paint something in your own house without sampling it, I'm going to like slice and dice you because that is just despicable. And just asking for it. Like there have been plenty of times that we have, we only use like 10 paint colors and they're all tried and true, like six years strong. And occasionally even something that's tried and true will come through in a room or on a sample and we're like, whoa that does not look the way it's supposed to and the reason why can there can be a variety of reasons but for the most part it's usually because of the light every the light is different in every single house it's different in every single room it's different every time of day so you need to get your samples paint them in big areas don't just paint like one coat with a dry brush that's you know like eight inches up and down you need to paint like a 36 by 36 inch square of each sample in multiple rooms. So wherever you're painting it, you need to paint it in multiple rooms if that's where you're painting it or on multiple walls in the same room. Then you need to look at that, those swatches, take pictures of them both morning, noon, and night. So you wanna see them in the morning with natural light, at noon with natural light, and then at night without natural light because it will be dark, and then with artificial light. So you wanna see how that paint looks based on the light bulbs that you have and how if you like it warmer or softer you can get away with a little bit of variation if you're planning on changing your bulbs if you want to go with a cooler bulb color versus a you know a softer or a warmer which that's a whole nother thing but um so you you just need to make sure that you give yourself enough time and allow the paint to dry do two coats like really give it a go because I'm telling you it will make a world of difference in trying to figure out if that paint is the right shade sheen color tone all of those things for you. And the last one is from BAM Interiors. Biz advice for startups, please. The absolute best advice I can give you, aside from what I hope has been good for you today, is to just start. The best the best thing you can do for starting is to just start. And whether starting is officially making an announcement on your social channels or officially sending an email to your friends and family or a text or however you can kind of make it over the first step of that kind of starting line, that will really help you, you personally, to take your craft seriously and the people around you. So awareness is the biggest thing. I have said for a long, long time, when people think of design, I want them to think of me. And if you can put that sentence in, when people think of X, whatever your craft is, I want them to think of me, I think that will really help you to understand how serious you're taking it and how serious you want them to take it. No one will ever hire you if they don't know what you're doing and if they don't know how you're doing it and if they're confused by what you're doing and if they feel like you're doing 50 things, how can you be really, really good at, at that many things? Um, and and so the best thing to do is to just start so that you can start the journey, put it out there and and see what happens and then use that circle of trust and your, your circle of influence so that you know who to listen to and who to, whose opinions to take into consideration as you are, are 
changing and pivoting and figuring out if you can actually make this thing go. Um, I hope that makes sense to everyone. I feel like this intense sense of relief because while this took so many versions of recording, I feel like this sounds good and it was amazing and fun and I hope you guys love it. And our next episode will be about Instagram. So it's going to be episode two is titled Instagram and what works for me. So I am not an Instagram professional. I'm no Jasmine star, but I do know what's worked for me. And I have built a really beautiful, dedicated network of followers that are just fantastic to be around and show up whenever I need them to. And I hope I can give you guys something in return. So episode two will be on Instagram. If you have any questions, let us know. Get me um, in the DMs and I will make sure I get right back to you. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. Kristen responds to every direct message on Instagram. So if you've got something to say, want to be a guest, or have episode ideas, get her at Lifestyled Co. Need some organic desert living for yourself? The Lifestyled Company Shop is waiting for you online at www.lifestyledcoshop.com, at the brick-and-mortar location in downtown Gilbert, or on Instagram at Lifestyled Co. Shop. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes and Spotify.